Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Welcome back to the 55th episode of the Monster Movie Stomp Down. Of course, you got Sludge here, and we're missing Mark, and we'll explain why for in a moment. But first, our brother from Texas. I'm here in Thought Out, Texas. It's been a month, so we're thought out from that big freeze we had last month. Good. Glad you guys are thought out. It's comfortable here in Tennessee now. Finally comfortable. Yeah, no, it's it's it was perfect today. It was like 80 with like 20% humidity. It was like perfect. I'm like, man, I could sit out here all day. Oh, nice. Yeah, I think today was like high 60s uh, here in East Tennessee, which for me is like that low 70s, high 60s with the way the humidity works here. It's it's perfect. And that's yeah. what it is. It's like I get to stay yeah. on my porch all day. Like I don't need to go anywhere else. So, but uh, yeah. but yeah, so we are missing Mark today because his household got hit with COVID. Um, now, Mark has tested negative, which is good. Uh, but my sister, yeah. her fiance, and the kiddos, um, they all did test positive. Kiddos are doing a lot better already. Um, Haley's feeling, uh, my sister is, and then her fiance is feeling pretty rough, but they are all starting to do better. But because of that, Mark is, you know, self-quarantining. Um, so he is not here with us tonight, unfortunately. Um, I think it was just an excuse, honestly, Ruben, you know, so he didn't have to watch a silent yeah. film. I think that's what it was. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's what it was. So you you went and licked the doorknob somewhere to try to get it, and he gave it to and he, and he didn't get it. He gave it to everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> dang Mark. So, but yes, this episode we're continuing on. Of course, we'll be doing this for a little while, going Godzilla movie to a Universal monster movie, and this time we went back to the original uh, of the Universal Universal monster classics with the Phantom of the Opera from 1925. Now, Ruben, you've have you seen this one? I know you've said you've seen the 55 one. With Claude, right? Yes. But yes, you, I've if, seen the 55, and, and this one I've only seen once, and it was when I was a teenager. That's how long it's been. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, um, so it's been a long time because the, the Claude Rains is on, uh, that's what you see on all the DVDs and all, like my Blu-ray set that I have. It's the Claude Rains. It doesn't have this one, I assume, because it's silent. Yeah. Um, so yeah. really, t- truthfully, this was a almost new experience for me. Oh because man! I, also, I did not realize how many versions were out there. That this was, so was totally many. different than the version. Yeah, this was totally different from the version I saw on on VHS or whatever. I don't even remember what I saw it on. Um, I think it was VHS back in the day because it fell into public domain, so it was everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, you could pick it. You could pick it up at a you know, well, not back then. It wasn't a Walmart, maybe a Kmart or whatever. Um, you could pick up a public domain version of it. Yeah, but it was on uh, it was VHS. all those, um, yeah. you know, especially when DVD came, all those big packs of like 50 classic horror movies or whatever, you know. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's what it was. Yeah. Something yeah, like that, that. there's actually so. a one cool one um, because we're talking about, you know, of course, this movie being from 1925, almost everything from back then is public domain. But Universal 
legally worked to get the rights back to this and get it out of public domain uh, because they needed to because they were losing all kinds of money because um, everybody had it uh, and released it. But there was one cool version because the public domain version, most of the time when you're watching this film, if you find it on YouTube or a public domain copy, like Ruben's talking about, is it's only 93 minutes. The actual film is 107 yeah. minutes long. Um, so hunting down the restored version is definitely the recommendation from us here to Sledgecast and anybody who's a fan oh, of this yeah. movie. Um, you want to get it, especially the Kodak, Kodak version, right, Ruben? We were talking about that earlier. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, Eastman. They they said I always get Eastman George Eastman House, which is Eastman Kodak. Well, okay, the, the, yeah. the Eastman actually does two of them, so you want to make sure you get the original. And I think about it because Eastman House does have a ninety-three minute print of this, but they did do yes. the full restoration, and they actually get colorized preservation on it as well. Um, which is yes, they did awesome. Yeah. Like for the colorized yeah. version of this movie, um, and we'll we'll jump into the movie uh, synopsis here real quick in just a second. But the colorized version of the movie is is that they really the hues of the scene as far because most of it, I mean, it's still yes. black and white, but like some scenes, it's more blue tinted, some more red tinted, in in very green. key aspects. Green, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. but the big shiny moment is the masquerade scene, which we'll go oh, on the synopsis that in a minute. Was- when it goes that to was to me color. oh man when we get to it that was like i'm like whoa oh you know, that was a uh i was like what in the what in the heck am i seeing oh <laughs> it was absolutely epic so let's jump into the movie real quick and uh, about what this thing's about so now uh phantom of the opera of course tells tells the tale of the phantom of the opera who goes by the name of eric um he is the phantom of a opera house in paris and at this opera house of course you've got all kinds of singers um this opera house is actually being bought at the very beginning of the movie um it's being sold by the original owners and then it has been um bought by new owners um and of course they let them know at the beginning hey beware the phantom the one who who sits in uh house box five and uh the phantom of course played by the great and truly amazing lon cheney uh, one of the greatest actors of all time, uh, takes a major liking and falls in love with one of the singers of the opera house named Christine Daae, who's played by the great Mary, Mary Philbin. Um, she was in a very controversial movie back in the day, by the way, called Merry Go Round with uh, Norman Carey, who's also in this movie. He plays Raul. Um, just a little side note there. But so he oh. falls in love with Christine Daae, and she's not the um, main singer of the opera house. The main singer is a singer named Carlotta, um, who's very seen very shortly on film here, but the fandom doesn't like her and pretty much says, if you don't stop singing and let Christine start singing these, take the lead, then, you know, you're going to be, uh, fall ill or you're going to fall curse of the phantom. And so Christine starts to do taking these leads and the phantom Primus is expressing his love to Christine throughout the movie. Um, and, you know, just says all you have to do is, is when he calls himself the spirit because he hides himself for the first little bit of the film. Um, but when he reveals himself for him to come, for her to come to him, uh, all because he's, you know, he's in love with, with Christine. So he comes for Christine one night. And when he finally comes for Christine, um, she, he takes her down because he lives in the catacombs, which is just a massive, just, Air, I mean, just it's huge. The, the amount of yeah. rooms and, and, and tunnels and yeah. there's even a lake underneath the Paris house is just beautiful. Yeah, I was like, man, I'd like to I'd like to live there. I must, when I was watching the movie, I said, man, that's a cool place to live. Oh, yeah, I would totally live down there. <laughs> totally. It's awesome <laughs> yeah. looking. Um, yeah. So he takes her down, and the one thing he tells her he, that she can't do 
is remove his mask because he wears a mask the entire time. And uh, the first step of betrayal happens when she <laughs> removes his mask as he's playing uh, at the organ that he's got down there. And it's, of course, one of the most classic, iconic scenes in movie history. If you've never seen this movie, I guarantee you have at least seen some, even if it was in Gremlins 2, you've at least seen the <laughs> shot of the Phantom having his mask yeah. removed. I mean, it was, it's truly it's a classic scene. Yeah. It is. I mean, they, they, back then when this came out in 1925 and uh, it actually came out like twice, like in September and November, depending on which side of the states you were on, uh, they were, they reported that people were passing out in the theater, um, being scared from that scene itself. It's just so, so iconic. And so, she removes his mask and he sends her back to up top and says that you can leave because of how ugly he is. And, um, but she, you know, but she can't talk to her former lover, uh, who is Raul by the, uh, in the movie and Raul knows something's up and, and he believes it's the phantom. But when she comes back, she pretty much lets him know that the phantom has, has taken her and Raul needs to save her from him. Um, and then comes the masquerade scene that we'll dive deep into here in a few moments. Uh, at a masquerade party because uh, Christine has returned. They do a masquerade, and of course she meets up with Raoul, and the Phantom shows up as the, well, honestly, it's the Mask of the Red Death is what he shows up as. Um, yep. Shows up and sees them together and re realizes that they are actually plotting uh, her escape. She's going to sing the next day uh, for her final performance, and then they are going to run off together to England. But the Phantom won't let him. And before and after she sings, he kidnaps her um, and takes her back down to his, we'll just call it a dungeon where he lives. It doesn't even look like a dungeon. It looks immaculate. It's awesome. Uh, but his lair underneath yeah. the, uh, the uh, opera house. And then it's all up to Raul uh, to, save, to save her. Uh, actually, Raul and then um, a character uh, played by Arthur Edmund, uh, Carew called Lado. He's kind of there figuring out what's going on with the Phantom. Uh, at first, you kind of think maybe Lado works for the Phantom, but he really doesn't. And so they go down to try and rescue Christine. While this is happening, a mob is forming up uh, on the streets of Paris because the the Phantom has killed somebody. Uh, actually, hung him in what is a quite frightening sequence in the movie. You see their body just hanging yeah. as a shadow. It was just truly. Uh, Awesome, awesome sequence. But they find out where the Phantom lives. So as, as Raul and Lado are trying to save Christine, the mob is growing and coming after the Phantom, and they arrive at the Phantom house. And the Phantom ends up luring Raul and Lado into an awesome torture chamber, which was supposed to be the torture chamber that he was tortured in for many years. And uh, and he ends up you know, talking to Christine, and Christine says, please, I'll do anything. Just save them, save them. And after what is an amazing back and forth sequence between the Phantom and Christine uh, in regards to saving Raoul and Ladeau, he does finally save their lives or spare their lives. And then he takes off with Christine running out of the Phantom or of the Opera House because the crowd, the mob is coming after him, pitchforks and and torches and everything. So they they steal the coach that was originally going to be for Christine and Raoul to escape in. And, and the Phantom, Eric, he takes off with her. She escapes out of it, falls into the street, and he goes to go get her, but the mob almost catches up with him, so he takes off running down uh, a side uh, wall by like a bridge um, by the river, and at that point, they come running down, and that is when the Phantom meets his climatic end, and what's a pretty brutal ending, because they beat him to death yeah. and then throw his body into the river. Um, 
just man i'm gonna go deep into this movie ruben because there's so much for this film um one gotta talk about lon chaney lon chaney of course you know a lot of people who may not know lon chaney because he was he he is an older actor, but I mean he's been in so many classics. He was the hunchback and hunchback in Notre Dame. Yep. He was in Flesh and Blood. Yep. He's in the Phantom of the Opera. He's in the Monster. Uh, let's see, he's in the Unknown with Joan Crawford. Uh, London After Midnight. I'm trying to think of a couple other ones I can think of the top of my head that, that he's just phenomenal in. Uh, just a great actor, phenomenal actor. Um, one of the things that he was most famous for back then was he was the guy who did his own special effects. So if you go back and watch. He plays Quasimodo in, in the 1923 original um, Hunchback of Notre Dame, and it just looks fin- the, the, it looks like he's in a suit almost. I mean, the special effects are superb in that movie, and it's all Lon Chaney. He does it all himself. And again, he does that here in Family Opera. And actually, Family Opera, most of it, because it doesn't even look like it, it's mostly paints. It looks like he's got like prosthetic stuff added to make his eyebrows bigger, and things like that. But no, it's mostly paints. He knew how to work paints extremely well to make himself look so horrifying. But he did add um, some, um, I think, clay to his nose to make it pointier. But then he used these hook wires to pull his nose up. And then he used like some fake wooden uh, false teeth with some wires to, to, to give the whole rest of the face thing that he's got. It's, yeah. He's truly terrifying looking. But he actually got injured making this movie because the wires, they said that he had, was constantly having nosebleeds because the wires were pulling up his nose would just, just dig into yeah. his flesh and just his nose They're digging bleed. into him, yeah. Um, so, I mean, oh. the, the dude was just dedicated. Now, people may not know Lon Chaney, but you definitely know his son who followed suit just like Dad did. Lon Chaney Jr., of course, most notably known as being the Wolfman uh, with Universal, the Universal Monster Classics. He was the Wolfman. Um, but his father was just one of, uh, I, I mean, arguably one of the greatest actors of all time time um you know he actually did actually one one of his later films that Lon Chaney did I think was absolutely phenomenal um was uh um it's the movie I can't think of it now he plays he's he portrays James Cagney um uh Man of a Thousand Faces unbelievable movie I mean that's Criterion Collection I mean just this dude was just a superb actor so good so that even though and maybe a lot of people don't know this but Lon Chaney Jr his son his actual name is not Lon. He changed his name to match his dad's. His name's actually Creighton or Crichton or something like that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, he wanted to follow suit because his dad was just so phenomenal of an actor. I mean, he's, again, man, movies like London After Midnight and uh, the Family Opera, Hunchback Notre Dame. I mean, his work is superb. Um I don't think they could have picked a better person for the role. And that's where Carl Lamel, Lamel, is that how you pronounce it, Ruben? Lamel, Lamel. That's, that's how I would pronounce it. Yeah. Something like that. (laughs) Carl, who, who produced this movie and actually financed the film, he was actually in France uh, in like 1910 or something like that. um, And met up with um, the guy who wrote the actual book um, for Phantom of the Opera. um, And, uh, what was his name? LaRoe, something LaRoe. Um, it's like, gosh, it's on the cover of the movie. And I can't even think about it during it. Ga- Gaston LaRoe. Um, and he met him. And uh, from uh, what it's been told is, is Lamel got a copy of LaRoe's book, not his 1910 novel, Family Opera. And uh, Lamel fell in love with it, bought the rights, did the movie. Now, 
Carl Lamell, most people might not know because he worked during the silent era. I think his last film was from like 1935 or 1934, something like that. But he died in he died in what 39? Is what I'm looking at here. Yeah. Matter yeah. of fact, hold on. Just I like, mean, he worked almost to the end of his career. Yeah. Yeah. But oh yeah. But it says here September 24th, 1939. Yeah. When he died. Yeah. So I mean, and he worked on the Hunchback of Notre Dame with Lon Chaney. He worked obviously on this one. He worked on the Unknown. Um, I mean, he worked on a ton of movies. I don't know anybody who worked on movies as much as this man. He's credited for over 930 films that he's a producer of. Wow. So I mean that's a workhorse. I mean, Carl worked his tail off 900. I don't know anybody else. 900. It's like 930, not something, 940 something films that he's credited as a producer for. Um, that's one heck of a streak. If you ask me, uh, I don't know anyone that comes even close to that. So, but so Carl put it on, of course, Universal bought the rights and then they brought in Lon Chaney, brought in Norman Carey. Norman Carey was great too, as Raul in this. Norman Carey actually is also in The Hunchback of Notre Dame with, um, excuse me, uh, with Lon Chaney. And of course, he was also in The Unknown with Lon Chaney again and the great, great Joan Crawford. That was one of her first films. Um, Joan Crawford was, is a legend when it comes to, uh, she may be like the first legendary female actress or female actor, in my opinion. I don't know anybody. Wow. That tops Joan Crawford. She was just a, a truly a legend. Actually, my favorite yeah. movie of hers is probably yeah. one of the you know, one of the more B film movies that she did. It was called Trog. I remember watching it with my great grandmother. Fell in love with it. But, anyways, back to the Phantom. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse but, me. Uh, before before you go forward, it's Lim Lee, according to him, in an interview. He said that's how you say it. Lim Lee. Lim Lee. Carl Lim Lee. Wow. Lim, we've been butchering Lim that Lee. name. Yeah, it's a. Yeah, I, I, you know, it, well, it's French, so um, it said, uh, asked how to pronounce his name. So obviously, like others, we, we had trouble too. He said his name means little lamb and is pronounced as if it were spelled Lim Lee, L E M Lee. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I'll never <laughs> say his name wrong again. So, yeah, <laughs> which, which is good. But so, I mean, this movie did good. I don't know what type of a budget this film had, to be honest with you guys. I, normally, I try to have all this information. I do know that it did like $2 million in box office sales, um, but I, I don't know what the budget of this movie was. I couldn't imagine being much, I mean, at the time. Um, but, I mean, they did – the sets on this movie is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, Ruben, I'm going to let you run with it for a minute, man. I mean, because I, well, I when I start digging into why I like this movie, I'm going to be digging in because this yeah. is Sludge's well, I, I was going to suggest that. So, you know what? Let me go. Yeah. I'll be a little bit shorter, <laughs> shorter, and then I'll let you go, man, and you can go the rest of the time. Um, I'm just going to say this is the first time, really, I saw the whole movie. Uh, as, as, as Sludge mentioned before, all the versions I've seen before were shorter and VHS. And the one time I saw it, it was very bad quality. I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it if it was one of those good time videos that, that, you know, you would buy at a five and dime store, you know, that you just see, or, you know, where it was like a five horror movies on one, uh, uh, super long SLP VHS right. back in the days. If Man, you guys remember I miss that, those. <laughs> yeah. So you'd get those and it was just, you know, the longer the, you stretch out that tape, the worst quality video quality you'd get you know so having seen this really for the first time the way it was pretty much well the closest you're going to get to the way it was meant to be seen right yeah is um the restored version um with the colors um and, and you know what really gets me is i really like love to know what that guy in the very beginning with the, the 
the lantern holder yes was saying you know like man i wonder what he's saying is he giving a background on eric is he just talking about the theater is he talking about the phantom and, and the haunting uh the, you know the so-called haunting of the, what is he saying a matter of fact the first few minutes of the film i'm like am i doing something wrong is there something wrong here do i need to turn <laughs> right. do i need to turn something on i'm not sitting there and then i said no this is a silent movie i should get a screen with the words you know and then of course the movie started but this movie is a work of art more than if somebody asked me did you like that movie i said i like that work of art because that's that's what it was i absolutely agree and, and of course yeah yeah i mean it it was a work of art and with silent movies you had to do it that way with silent movies the expressions had to be show emotion you just couldn't nowadays you know you can show you can show emotion without showing it on your face by by sound or you know or and, and, but with this you had to you know really i mean you saw the emotion they a lot of times you didn't even know what they were about to say because the you know the the words come after but you had an idea just from the face yeah you could tell what was going the, on without hearing anything exactly yeah exactly mm -hmm. you know uh, from from the makeup to the soundtrack of this thing which is phenomenal oh I mean, yeah it's just great yeah if you're a fan of classical music man you're gonna love this soundtrack because that too conveys emotion that too conveys what's going on on the screen for you um it's not just the faces it's not just the the cards i call them cards with the words on them um i know there's an official term but it escapes me right now um but to me that's what makes it a work of art and seeing that iconic scene where she pulls the mask off and really that's basically a and maybe I'm mistaken here, but I've seen it twice since since we're recording. I can't remember if he pulls off if he takes off that mask again at any time. And you correct me if I'm wrong. Is it just when he's when he's playing? It, it, does he take it off in another scene? He does take it off later on when he brings her back down. Um, the second time, the second right? Time, the second yeah. time when but, she kidnapped. Yeah, okay. I was trying to remember whether he took off the mask then or not. Yeah, but he, he takes it 90, off. 90% of the movie, yeah, for 90% of the movie, he's either a shadow or he or or he's wearing his mask, mm -hmm. you know, for 90% of the movie, which is, you know, that that's another thing I loved about the movie. The, the, the use of shadows in this movie was great. Oh, it's so um, good. It gave you a sense. Yeah, it gave you the sense of, of uh, you know, it, it, you know, anxious. It made you anxious because you saw the shadows and and they really you knew they worked with shadows because, I mean, I noticed these little things. I said they would work the shadow, but that's not how the lighting was. The shadows were intended to be there uh, as part of the director's vision, you know, um, uh, and it, it was great. I mean, I just I really like this movie a lot. Um, of course, that iconic shot uh, when she pulls off the mask is unforgettable um but my favorite part is when he appears and you get technicolor and he's he's uh he's in red and he's the you know, the, the the red mask red mask of death or whatever you want yeah the, and i'm like man look at that because you see hues throughout the movie but that scene uh if i read it correct was actually redone in technicolor mm -hmm. they colored it in and so you had all kinds of shades in that 
in that scene, which I thought was awesome, especially how he was dressed. I mean, that was just as terrifying as when she pulled his mask off, the way he was dressed. You know, I'm like, man, that, that costume that 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 he's wearing is just awesome. So there's not much I didn't like about this movie. Um, the only thing I would say I, I would gig it on is I, but you know, hey, you can't find the footage. You can't find the footage. Just is I'd like to know what that the lantern holder was saying at the beginning of the movie. I I would have liked to see more. I would like to heard or seen, I guess, seen or read more of Eric's background because all you know is he's a phantom. You know, and uh, yeah, you know he, very little. You get about like him. one yeah, little card know. that tells you he's from Devil's Island and um, was yeah, considered exactly. criminally insane yeah. and an expert in the black arts or something like that. Right, exactly, and then that's all you get. I'm like, okay, so what? You know what made him? Okay, so he's there. He's he's haunt he's haunting the opera house. But okay, so why? I mean, why is he? Why Christine? You know. Uh, I mean, he fell in love with her, but there's, you know, I, I just would like a more background. And I already gig it for that because it's still a great movie, um, you know. And, and another thing I'd like to add is, although he is the villain in this whole movie, I will cast some blame on Christine. Because she, the promise of fame, he promised her fame, basically, and said, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll be a, you'll be a star. If you right. come with me or if you accept my terms and she accepted it, she accepted it to the point. She told Raul, uh, you need to go, you know, I'm going to be a star. And so I'm like, you know, her ambition got her into that mess more than anything else, more than, you know, she could have told the phantom, see you later. No, I'm not interested, you know, but no, that, that draw in, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to get deep. Like Justin McLean does on a lot of these movies. You know, her her ambition is what got her into the situation she's in. You know, the Phantom, yeah, he's the villain and he did some terrible things and he did kidnap her and all that. But but um, I think her ambition is is a villain in, in this, too, as well. Um, and I thought the director made that pretty clear. I mean, if anybody watches the movie, you'll you'll, you'll say, you know what? She you know, she, she's a pretty ambitious woman. And she had no qualms, uh, you know, you know, about uh, her being an understudy. She had no qualms about the star, you know, getting hurt or anything like that. I mean, in my eyes, I could be wrong, but in my eyes, it was like she didn't care as long as she got what she needed. Um, and then when she pulls off his mask, well, that's betrayal number one. He should have learned his lesson right there. If you ask me, oh yeah, <laughs> she pulled off. Yeah, you know, first thing he tells her, the first thing he tells her not to do is the first thing she does. You know, and uh, I really love that scene where she, you know, her and Raul plan and say, go, let's go up there where nobody will see us. So they go up to the clock tower or tower of the opera house, the very roof of the, they go to the roof of the, of the opera house. And so they think they're alone where there's the phantom on top of that steeple, I guess is what it looks like to me, listening to their whole plot. And then, and, and again, he's like, man, you know, she's stabbing me in the back again. You know, I told her I'd make her a star, and she's still doing this. So, um, though you know, I, there's just nothing I didn't like about that movie. I mean, if you're if you don't like silent movies, you might have a hard time with this one. But after a while, I will say you forget you're watching a silent movie. Oh, because you easily, I think. Yeah, yeah. You, the story draws you in. I mean, it's just so well done as far as um, 
you know, the atmospheres and, you know, I mean, it's just great. Um, the fact that they're doing Faust at the very you know, beginning, that's, yeah. that's so, you know, at the very beginning, <clears throat> I was like, man, that, you know, that's perfect. You know, I know it was based on the book and this is from what I've read. This is a, this, this movie is cl- as close as you're going to get to the, what the book asked for. Yeah. They, book, they only changed when, when very the little things in this movie for as far. Yeah. As very know. minor things, very minor things. I think they just changed the, the that one guy that it happened to be a secret policeman. Well, in the um, book he's actually an, a Lido. friend of his an ex-friend yep. yeah Lado is an ex-friend of him you know so there's not much I, I, a matter of fact that's it and i had to reach for that as far as dislikes um i will say that if if you're not into silent movies you, you might not dig it but i think that you'll be drawn in just like i was because this was like me just watching it for the first time because it's been that long i'm 54 years old and the last time I saw it, I rented it on VHS, probably. That's the last time I've seen it. So I was a teenager at the time. And uh, so for me, it was like watching it the first time. And it drew me in right away. It drew me in right away. And I wanted to know more. That's why I'm gigging it, because I want to know so much more. I want that background. And this but, movie's uh, got a ton of background. I mean, you were mentioning it earlier. I mean, as far does. as what it's gone through. I mean, as far as yes. preservation and releases. Yeah. Because there's an even a whole full, yeah. co- full controversial type deal with the Eastman pr- original print. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so yeah, it's been, it, and that's why I say I, I don't blame it because it's been through a lot. This movie, you know, the physical movie has been through a lot. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, you know, uh, I'm holding it against it and I really shouldn't. Uh, and I gave it a very high rating. So um, that's really all I have to say. I'm going to give it over to the expert who's this is his favorite universal movie so, oh man his favorite movie his favorite movie of all yeah that's what you this, said earlier. this is it is that Not, all right yeah when it comes to you know favorite genre movies or you know, this is this is my favorite movie of all time if sludge is strapped or trapped on a deserted island with one film and a vcr it's phantom of the opera and i will put that mug on loop for the rest of my days I love this movie. Um, before I get into really why, <clears throat> I'll talk real quick about the things I liked about it. Uh, absolutely everything. Like I, I love this movie. There's, there's, there's not even really anything I don't like, but there is one thing I do laugh about in this film, and I'll, I'll talk about it in a second. But I love the movie. I love the soundtrack. I mean, the original soundtrack, especially now. This one, of course, has been in, in public domain, and we were talking about. I mean, y'all listen. Go, just go look up. I'm sure it's on the like maybe they're. The, the wikipedia page or imdb has got to have the full history of this written down um it, it went does. it went through it is t- and it's a long one. Oh my gosh it went through so much stuff um, um as far as changes with soundtrack actually i think in like 1930 they actually did a a bunch of reshoots in the 30s and got a bunch of the yeah. original cast back to do the movie again in sound and the only person that didn't do their parts in sound was lon chaney and i think they even title carded like that or something like that but that print there was only one print of it they thought and uh because it made like another bunch of money like another million dollars or something but the uh, but the uh where it was stored when they when they brought out in 1930 uh the theater burned down and the film was lost yeah and so but a lot of of the conspiracy type thing or, or theories is, is is how eastman got their copy because a lot of what eastman has came from what was supposedly that 
1930s film. Destroyed. Yeah, the destroyed yeah, one. That destroyed copy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so super interesting history in this film. One of the cool things about it is you can find copies of this movie, much like if you if you do your digging, you can find for like Nosferatu, where you'll you'll find the soundtracks redone for these films. Uh, a la a band called Typo Negative did this for several films. Uh, of course, their soundtrack for Nosferatu that they redid was unreal, and Typo Negative is a is a goth metal band. But so there's there's multiple yeah. versions you're going to find with slight changes and just the the constant change in history and restoration and finding pieces and other versions of the film, even down to like they'd find the same scene but shot at a different angle somehow. It's it's crazy. So I mean it's it's got an an extremely interesting one of the most interesting histories of any film yeah. as far as its life. I mean most real, definitely any of the ones that we've we've reviewed in our 55 episodes. This one was the most has the most interesting history, in my opinion. It does the most interesting history. I mean, I was like, wow. I started yeah. reading all this stuff. I'm like, wow, wow. I mean, I, I kept stopping. Like, I can't believe this. Oh man, man, look at that. I mean, it. It's it's amazing. Oh yeah, and if you want to throw even more on top of it, because I mean, just when you read about the film, you're going to want to watch this movie. Um, yes. let, not just for even how amazing of a movie it is, just for the history of it, but even to throw it on top of it, the soundtrack for this film was actually originally done by Joseph Carl Braille. Now, Joseph Carl Braille, most of you guys are probably, I don't know who that is. Um, he did the soundtrack. He composed the music for one of what in today's era is now considered one of the most controversial films of all time, Birth of a Nation, um, which is another yeah. silent film. And that is a, that's an amazing movie too, about the birth of, you know, what happened in America. And it, I mean, it's, it's, it was controversial back then. It is controversial as all get out now. But so Joseph, who was, a, was an amazing composer, he did the soundtrack to this, and I think it's phenomenal. If you go and you listen to Andrew Lloyd Webber's version, the, the, the Broadway play, then, of course, the movie with Gerard Butler, you'll hear that there. it's not an exact, by any means, copy of Braille's soundtrack, yeah. uh, what he composed. But there are moments, especially in the title sequence for Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera, when the Phantom in this movie, in the original movie, when when he's down there playing on his um, organ after uh, you know, there's the scene there before he takes his mask off again um, with Christine down there, he's playing a sequence on that organ, and Carl writes a piece to go over top of it, and if you listen back to that one, there are key notes and and sequences in that piece that they used in the new 2004 movie um, with Gerard Butler. And it's just absolutely epic. I mean, so his soundtrack is just superb. I mean, as far as silent films and I own a lot, I've watched a lot. The soundtrack for this movie is, is I think arguably the best soundtrack of any silent film. Um, So I mean, I love it. I love Lon Chaney. The dude is one of my favorite actors with the fact that he just, Special effects, of course, is our big thing too. Here, we love special effects of every movie we talk about in every film we watch. Obviously, that's special effects is kind of the key point to everything we review. And for this man to be doing these special effects himself on himself is just superb. I love the storyline for this movie. The sets are just immaculate. I mean, yeah, Metropolis was awesome. Had yeah. some cool props and cool sets because a lot of it was you know paint backgrounds and things. I, I just can't think of a silent film that I've seen from Nosferatu, The Lost World, Metropolis, Birth of a Nation. Nothing had the set 
like on a, just the size of grandeur that family opera has even the yeah. you know the tunnels in his place under underneath i mean it's just it's a, everything's immaculate and it especially comes to life when you see the masquerade scene that is yeah. just and you've seen it in color especially with him because you got characters that are wearing red costumes and black costumes but he is so just blood red when he shows up yes. that he just stuns everybody and the shot when they when Christine and Raul escape to the, the, the top of the uh, opera house where the, that big steeple is or whatever it is, um, yeah. it's like an angel um, at the top, and, and he's yeah, up there exactly. listening. Yeah. Man, that shot of him on that steeple, during the moment that he gets betrayed again uh, by Christine, is just one of this, the most amazing shots I think I've ever seen, especially when you see the yeah. red. It was just, it's epic. Um, and of course now Christine, I hate her. I cannot stand her, man. Like she's just, uh, I can't yeah. say, I can't say the <laughs> words I want to call her, but I mean, yeah, you know, she is just, I, oh, she's the good. Villain. I thought I was the only one. I no, thought, man. man you know, I don't know. I mean, like, man, she just irritated me. Oh, like, she's, man, that's she's why the true I villain of the movie, it, man. The true villain of the yeah. film, you know? And so for, for me, when I when I first watched this movie, I was 14 or 15. And this was the second silent film I'd ever seen at the time. My first silent film experience was the original Nosferatu, then followed up closely with this, and then Lost World from 1925. Um, and this one took the cake for me, uh, this movie. This was the movie where Sludge became a movie f- fan. Like, I didn't, I went from just enjoying and being entertained. This was the first movie where I saw more with the characters and and the story than anything else. So for me, as a 14-year-old, it wasn't just me trying to enjoy a silent film and a, and a horror movie. Um, for me, I, I saw deeper. To me, it was not about him being some horrific ghoul that lived underneath this opera house. It was about his search for, for love and finding yeah. it only to be betrayed by that love over and over and over again and to not be understood by anybody there you know i mean everyone's afraid of him and up until the point where you find the guy hanging which by the way you don't even know for sure if it's actually the phantom who hung the guy in the film he's just misunderstood and all he wants and he gives it his all to put christine on this pedestal and give her her dreams she constantly, over and over again, betrays him. <laughs> just back. I mean, yep. she is the true villain, man. She, I like, I wish she yeah. had died, but that's just me. You know what I mean? Like, she was just, she was the evil part. But for me, it, it all yep. culminated to the to the last scene of the film. So as I'm watching this, I'm like, it was my first time digging deep into a film and seeing what the movie's about, getting the underlying message, seeing the subliminal messages, what's really being told. And this changed everything for me. So, you know, so when I go and I'm watching, you know, after the, at, at this moment in my life, movies change drastically. Every movie that I saw after this, not every, right. but most of them, I, you know, what was the message? I mean, especially when you were watching horror films, when you watch things that, they live by John Carpenter. I mean, the societal yeah. message oh, of that boy. movie is huge. It is just all about consumerism and control. It is political control and consumerism yeah. is what the movie's about. Or anything by George Romero. I mean, every one of his movies, zombie movies, people are like, oh, it's just a dumb zombie movie. Oh, yeah. No, you need to pay attention mm-hmm. to what he's talking about. He is talking heavily on society. Uh, even in Martin. Oh, yeah. oh, my gosh. Martin, like, 
Yeah. I can go into a big yeah. message on that one. So I started to see these yeah. in these movies, you know, then I'd go watch movies like Donnie Darko or Memento. And I'm like, dude, this is, this is so deep. You know, I, I'd be catching it all while friends of mine are, are like, I don't get what's going on. It, all that came from family opera for me. So, yeah. so this was, yeah. it's all the symbolism you start seeing and it might be cause it was a silent film, but it, it it opens your eyes. It I does. I mean, word. it just, this yeah, was the one that where that all clicked for me, all clicked. And that's yeah. what I just went from being someone who enjoyed watching the movie to becoming a movie fanatic. Like I just, today with movies became life all of a sudden. And these, these just these otherworldly stories that I could enter into that I couldn't do before and dig deep into it. And I absolutely loved it. And for me, the, it was the final moment, man, when, when I'm like, man, you're after the wrong guy. Like, you know, it's not him. He's done all this, you know, because he's, he loved her and she's betrayed him over and over and over again. And actually in the book, the, the one of the things that few things that did change is if you read the, going back and read um, uh, Gaston's book, the phantom dies at the actual, um, uh, or, or the organ in his lair, he dies of a broken heart. That's how he actually dies yes. in the book. But of course, yeah. that wasn't good enough for the audience, so they reshot it. And what ends up happening to make it more exciting is, is when he runs down the bridge, uh, down by the river, and the mob's chasing him. And, and it's just the greatest scene, man. To me, this is the greatest scene in yeah. cinema history. They're coming down on both sides. And he raised his fists up in the air, his fists up in the air, and they freak out. They all stop. I mean, we're talking hundreds of people. And just by raising his fist, they all stop and they're gasping in fear. And then his hands closed up and then he just turns his hand and opens it and there's nothing there. And then he just laughs as they bombard him and beat yeah. him to death. And to me, that, that's a powerful scene. Man. Oh my I, gosh. I, you know, I mean, as a 14 year old kid, dude, that just rocked me to the core i'm like man as humans we will always be afraid of something we will never understand always yeah. i mean that that true sentiment of the human nature and that darkness yeah. of the human nature hit me yeah. like a ton of bricks watching it, yeah. this you if, know if you're if you're different if you're different you you'll be spurned exactly yeah basically that it's is what it's a human nature you know if you're any different if you don't conform or if you're different in any way you, you you're gonna suffer yep it's basically what the theme is and and, and and it's very true to this day oh yeah especially it's in very society true, today right know? now um you yeah know, i mean it's just like if you don't conform then you know we're gonna lead you to the bridge we're gonna beat you to death and we're gonna throw you into the water yep and you know i'm like man it's so that scene you know especially when he opens his hand and there's nothing there it's like i was never i was never the monster you made me out to be yeah and then boom and and, and and he just shows them and and he gets the last laugh because he's laughing the whole time shows them it, it's them they are the monsters christine is the monster they're, you know they're the true monsters yeah. of the film not eric the whole time and i i mean yeah. i absolutely yeah. love that it was that was to me it was just such a big moment i mean of course obviously you know 55 episodes into a podcast about monster movies. You know, I, I did sludge cast for almost 50 episodes about pop culture film. I talk about films on the NPC show. I mean, movies so integral. I mean, it was always my escape. This was it, man. This was the movie for sludge that changed it all and will forever and always be my all time favorite movie. None of them. There's just not a movie that can compare um, to, to this. And, and again, like Ruben, you said it earlier um, for a silent film, man, it's easy to watch. I mean, 
it's oh, yeah, it, it is. it's so yeah. entertaining. I mean, the, the soundtrack's on point. The actors do such a phenomenal job, especially portraying the emotion to where you don't even need the cards at points because you're like, I know what's going no. on. I can tell what's exactly. going on. Exactly. And that's truly yeah. great acting. And just for to have a great story and then the this the underlying message that uh uh I'm gonna say Carl's name wrong again. Dang it, Limley. Uh, Carl. Yeah. That Carl. Yeah, you got it. There Limley. we go. You got it. Um, that Carl Limley <laughs> yeah. was really trying to get across is just superb. I mean, and then of course, then just add on the history of this movie. There's nothing bad about this film for me, except for the one thing oh. that I did tell you guys that uh, <laughs> that cracks me up when I watch it every time. Okay, if you go back and watch it, I don't know if you picked this up on this Ruben or not. Uh, but go, but uh, you will next time you watch the film now though, um, but um, throughout the movie, okay, you'll see they'll either the Phantom will send letters, okay, to the Opera House managers, yeah. or they'll pull, yeah, um, or he'll send a letter to Christine, or they'll the the one detective pulls a letter down and actually gives the little information about Eric himself, the Phantom. Every or one Carlota. of those, he sends like Carlota, yeah. What's that? Yeah, uh, or he sends it to the uh, Carlota. Carlota? Carlota, that, yeah. Yep. Her name? yep. Yeah. Tells her Carlota, to, to she be sends ill. letters to her, too. Yep. So, yeah. so every one of those shots, when you're looking at the letter, because it's just a shot of the letter, is the same thumb. It's one man. Oh. Okay. So they did, okay. so they just did a shot of one man holding these cards. And, it's, and you can tell because it's the same thumb <laughs> okay. every time. What cracks me up the most is when Carlotta and christine are holding their letters and it goes over the letters it's clearly the dude's thumb it's like that's not a woman's thumb it's this dude's thumb that's for all of them yeah um so that cracked me up i, I mean, didn't notice yeah so now you yeah. go back and watch didn't it even like, notice because i because i'm so busy reading the reading the letter right so yeah you're like that now, now you'll go back you and it's like man christine's got a pretty pretty <laughs> manly thumb there like it's yeah, you got a man hands yeah seinfeld will say man hands yeah so i mean if i had to pick a negative that would be the one and only negative. But I mean, most of the time, you're, yeah, you're so busy reading the letter, you're you're not going to notice. Or when you do finally notice, it just makes you laugh. Because um, yeah. especially when it's in Christine's hand or Carlotta's. Um, but phenomenal yeah. movie. I mean, to me, I can't recommend this enough. If you've never watched a silent film, go watch this movie um, because it's just at, well, there's tons of silent movies you need to watch uh, as a film fan. Yeah. But, um, this is a must see. I mean, if I made a list well, of top and this 10, one, and this one was had a frame has the framework that's been used over and over again. Oh yeah, the one that came to mind when I was watching this is King Kong, the original King Kong. Yep. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm like, this was made in 1925. I said they just took the framework of Phantom of the Opera, you know, and 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 now and Daryl's not the bad guy in it, but they made you know this guy this misunderstood creature. Uh, this misunderstood human and he you know he he ends up dying for love and that's exactly what king kong's all about yep you know uh you know even you know uh at the end of the 2005 peter jackson one of the most powerful uh lines comes from from jack black when they say oh you know the the planes got him he goes no one the planes it was beauty to kill the beast oh man i know yeah I'm, yeah I'm gonna add in here though i don't think and i know this is where we're kind of like a little bit uh swerve from phantom i honestly don't think that's the most powerful powerfully delivered line in that movie the most powerful really yeah to me the most powerfully delivered line in that movie comes prior right not too long prior but right before that is when that they're on top of the empire state building she's crying he's shot to crap he's about to fall off yeah, and die yeah and then they look at the sunset 
and and she gives this, oh, this hand man. symbol for beautiful. Yes, that she that yes. they do on the yeah. island, dude. I, I, yeah. Hey, yeah. tear dropped out of my face. I ain't afraid to admit it, man. I was like, yeah. that's it right there. Yeah. That was the moment. Yeah, yeah. That, that well, that is the most powerful moment. Yeah, you're right. It, but to me, I mean, I always remember that line because of that, and it it takes me back to this. I think this was the origin, and maybe there were other movies like that, man. I don't know. I mean, I will tell you that when I was watching this movie again for the second time in my lifetime, and I saw that, I'm like, man, this is this is this is a lot like Four East Kong. It is, you know. And it, this was done way. Right yeah, this was done one. way before. Yeah, I said this is Kong. This is Kong misunderstood. Uh, he's he's portrayed as a villain, but in the end, he really just was a misunderstood person or or creature or whatever you want to say depending on the movie so this framework is i mean how many times have has this has this happened you know have they taken this this frame or maybe outline and used uh, i mean all throughout film history all throughout film history yeah i mean it's this i mean you can even take it to uh goonies with the uh what's his name in the basement you know (laughs) oh yeah being a big softy i mean it, this is it all goes back to this right here um and you know and we got hunchback in notre dame uh, notre dame you know and stuff like that that, that might be the only one closer to, that has about the same framework maybe that was done before this one but yeah well i mean that's what i was thinking i was trying to think of standard you know because i've seen a ton of silent films the only thing i can think of that came prior to this with that framework would be hunchback but even that didn't deliver to the level that this did. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, yeah. Still a great movie, though. Oh, my gosh, it's still such a good movie. Oh, yeah, no, there's, there's, like I said, I had to reach for negatives on this one, only because, you know, to be fair, you know, but but you heard my negatives. They weren't very, they weren't very negative. Yeah. Um, hey. There's just so much about this movie, you know. It's just, it's um, it's amazing. like uh, It's like a masterpiece that you hang on your wall, you know. Um, uh, I, I just I can't see anybody putting this movie in, and at the end saying I just wasted, you know, a hundred and seven minutes or what was it? Yeah, hundred seven. Yeah, yeah hundred seven minutes. minutes. I I can't see anybody saying that. Uh, I can't, um, see, even though it's silent. I can't you know? see anybody going. That was a hundred seven minutes, really, because I mean, it just doesn't seem like it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's just you, you, you. I don't know. I guess hypnotized. You get hypnotized by the story and and all the backgrounds, to the sets. I mean, I was just reading the the soundstage didn't get knocked down till recently. Uh, you know, in this you know uh, in the last twenty years maybe. Oh yeah, um, soundstage twenty eight. Because yeah, it yeah. just barely got knocked down because the way it was made is it was made to be an opera house and they had so many extras that they had to make it with steel and concrete. Mm-hmm. To hold all those extras. Yep. So it wasn't it, they just you know they didn't want to tear it down because it was just too much trouble. Yeah. And but it, even when they did, they still took apart the set and preserved it. So oh yeah, because soundstage um, twenty eight that that soundstage that they built because you're right. I mean yeah, they cause the, the amount of extras is insane. Uh, but uh, it I mean they used it in not just this. I mean it was in hundreds of movies. Uh, oh yeah. Prior they got to reused it. and reused and reused again. Yeah. So. Uh, that it just recently got torn down or dismantled, I should say, not torn down. They used the word torn down, but then they said they preserved 
the set somehow. And I'm like, well, then they didn't, they dismantled it then. They didn't tear it down. Or Soundstage 28 is no longer there, I guess. I mean, I don't know what they did, but uh, this is just, this is iconic. This is a, this is a Godzilla 54. This is a King Kong 33. This is a Alien. You know, a lot of movies that we've given five to, that we've given fives to. Um, I will, disclaimer, I didn't give it a five, but it certainly came close. Came close. Yep. Yes, it came very close. The only reason I didn't get a five is because it's not my favorite Universal. Other than that, it probably would, I probably would have given it a five. Yo, this, um, this one gave very yeah. solid five for me, obviously. Um, so we rounded out of the four and a half. I mean, just a, just a, it's a must see. If you guys have never seen this, you have yeah. to see this movie. Um, and then, and man, just a, real quick, man, because I, I didn't even think about it until you said that. Because uh, they used to do about Soundstage Twenty Eight. They used to do tours, and so that you all know how how this stage, of course, was built for this film. How impactful this movie was. Now, I, I mean, there's uh, tons of movies that this movie, but I'm talking like um, uh, uh, there's parts of uh, the original Psycho, uh, the Birds. Um, uh, oh. uh, the the Raven uh, Airport was shot there. Um, the comedy movie Airport. Um, uh, episodes of Night Rider were shot there. Um, uh, all the way up to uh, I think like one of the last movies, or I don't know if it was one of the last movies, but even Jurassic Park, parts of it was shot at States really? at Soundstage Twenty Eight. Oh wow. yeah, so I mean this is like I mean we're talking historical what this was, and it was built for Family Opera. Which is just super, super cool. I want to find out now. Like, what was the, what was the last movie filmed there? You know, at stage or at Soundstage yeah. Twenty Eight. Well, it says here. It didn't. I wish I could. You know, I looked it up, and it just says Soundstage Twenty Eight. Well, it's part of the of the Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. It was torn down in two thousand fourteen. So, man, it it most likely got used very recently in the last you know what 15 years yeah 16 and, years and it was maybe. supposed to have been of course you know quote unquote haunted too if i was taken like i think there was actually really yeah there was actually some like haunted stories behind the soundstage itself wow i've never you know i'm a big i, I mean i read a lot of haunted house books and stuff like that it had been a long time but man i've never heard that that's the first i've heard of soundstage 28 being haunted again we're just giving you guys wow. more reasons to watch this movie yeah. <laughs> how many more yeah. do you need you know yeah i mean i mean now you're i mean there's the background of this movie alone should at least get you curious. Oh, absolutely. I, I think, you know, I mean, after reading the background, I'm like, man, matter of fact, I, I told Sludge, I watched this on Saturday. We record on Wednesday nights. So I watched this the Saturday prior. Okay. And I read, I did it the Saturday prior because I started re- doing my background, you know, doing my little research on it. And I started reading about it and I couldn't wait. I said, you know what? I got to watch this now. And uh, so I watched it and uh, because the background is just so intriguing and there's so much, you know, there's just so much history to this movie other than it's just not another movie. Yeah. You know, you know, you you know, you you know, uh, it's it's one of those movies that has a history and went through so much changes to get it to just to get made. You know, just to get made, it had to go through change, you know, those screenplays and they were rejected and then they. They decided to change the ending because they screen tested it and they didn't like the ending. You know, um, to me, the broken heart ending would have been just beautiful. I think so, know? too. Uh, I mean, I think. Yeah. I mean, granted, not having that that wow moment of going, 
you're, yeah, yeah, that's true. This is how they were going Mandy for. Is. This is this was supposed to be a horror movie. Yeah, you know, yeah. so I guess they wanted to end that way, but um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, I just would have liked to seen you know a more that broken heart conveyed a little bit more. I mean, we knew he was broken hearted, but you know, um, I would have liked to seen that. But other, I mean, but I can see why they changed it, and the ending is just fine. I like the oh ending. yeah, I, I love, mean, the it, love, love the ending. Love love the ending. Yeah, the ending is is. It's one of those Perfect. things where, like, you know, even with the, I mean, like, the ending of the book is totally fine staying in the book because what we got on film, I yeah. think, was just, yeah, for me at least. Yeah. But, and that's know, what I think if I'd have gotten yeah. the ending in the book, um, it may not have clicked like it did this. Yeah. With this and, and you know what? That's that's what the test screening said. Yep. You know, test screening it said that no, no, they wanted they wanted this ending, and, and I don't think they were wrong. I'm just saying, I would have liked to seen that broken maybe. Before he takes off on the carriage, maybe a, maybe an expression on his face of disappointment and and like you know maybe re- maybe just figuring you know what I'm gonna die right this is it and yeah. it's all because of her <laughs> you know it's, it's all, all Christine's fault she should have died it's all Christine's fault <laughs> she, yeah so man yeah and like Sludge says this is highly recommended I mean I can't. This is, and I also read it's one of the top one, uh, the one hundred movies to watch before you die, and yep. I one hundred percent agree with that. This is one of the movies you have to watch before you, you know, it should be on your bucket list, even if you're not a silent movie buff, man. You you just need to watch this movie. Yep, I totally agree. Well, I mean, even like you watched it Saturday, I watched it Sunday, and then I had to watch it again today. Not because you know it's like, oh, did I miss anything? No, I've seen this movie more than most Godzilla films. I've seen it so many times, but it's just because it's just that good. It is such a good movie. But yeah, and this is one of the movies there's uh, down down here in Corpus when everything was normal, the uh, art museum would do screenings on its on outside wall. So you'd go it, it was called Ride Up Theater. So you it, the thing is you'd ride up on your bike. It's basically what they're trying to promote exercise and ride your bike you know, don't drive over here, ride your bike or walk over here, you know, and on the side of the wall of the museum, they'd show movies. Oh, man, this would that would be, be a perfect cool. movie for that. Yeah, that would yeah, be super I mean, cool. I said, man, this would have been such a cool movie to show on that. You know, it's the art museum. This is a work of art. Um, It, it was just, you know, I'm like, man, if they ever start doing that again, they'll they usually ask for suggestions. I said, I'm going to suggest this movie because I want to see this and in, in, on a big screen and i want to see it in that atmosphere yeah you know um with people just to see the reaction um that'd be cool but uh, this is just a great movie i can't stop raving about it oh it's so good so all right guys well if we haven't told you enough you should figure it out by now this is a must-see movie <laughs> highly recommended on our list um of course we missed mark tonight but he'll make up for it um, so hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Again, we can't say it enough. This is a must-see movie. This is a must-see classic. You've got to watch this movie. It will blow your mind. It is so good. And, uh, of course, we've got one more episode for you this month. It's going to be short, Ooh, not yeah. like normal, but we are two weeks away from today, I think. We're recording this because we recorded this yes. on Wednesday, so it's the 17th. Of course, you guys yep. are here this Saturday. Um, yep. But we are two weeks away from Godzilla versus Kong. We are super pumped. Most of us have asked the day off to go see it um, and to make sure yeah. we view it. And, and you know what? After we watch it, we're going to get together, do a quick, spoiler-free, we promise, P, 
Pete and Justin, in case you guys don't get to see it, it'll yeah. be as spoiler free as possible. Initial reaction review episode for Godzilla versus Kong. And we're super stoked about that. So I ooh, can't wait. Super good. And of course, next month, join us again. Our next Godzilla movie next month is Godzilla X. Is it Godzilla against Meg Godzilla? Yeah. Godzilla against Meg Godzilla. Yeah. Uh, which we're fixing to get close to round out the the Millennium Series. So we'll do that one. Yeah. And then the next episode next month, we're going to continue on trucking through the Universal Monster movies, and we're going to go with the next one in order, and that's going to be Dracula from 1931, showcasing another one of the classic legendary phenom actors, Bela Lugosi. Um, so I'm super mm-hmm. stoked about that one. We may have to, you know, watch – because they just did an article today on Bloody Disgusting about the Spanish version of this. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, because yeah. it's it's a whole other beast in itself. It really, really is. Um, so yeah. we may have to try and knock both of those out in that episode. That'd be pretty cool, because I don't know anyone else has ever done that. Yeah. No. And, it, it, yeah, same soundstage, different actors. Yep. Uh, Bella Lugosia go home for the day, and the Spanish actors come in. Which is crazy. Crazy uh, how they did that. Pretty crazy, yeah. Yeah. So, but all right. Well, man, again, thank you guys so much. Stay tuned. We got another one coming for you again with Godzilla's Kong initial reactions. And then join us next month for Godzilla against Mega Godzilla and the original, well, not the original, technically the original, even though Nosferatu was really the original, this 1931 yeah. Dracula movie. Can't wait for that one. So, this is Sludge and Ruben. Y'all have a good night. Good night, everybody. We have a call.